Taking your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 39. Let us call upon our God again for the help that we all need upon the occasion of his word being read and preached. Our gracious God and Father, we do ask that it would please you for the sake of your dear Son, our, our mediator and great high priest, we ask that it would please you to give us the help we need now. Give us ears to hear, open our hearts, soften our wills, make us new, rule, bend, form, fashion us according to your will. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Psalm 39. To the choir master, to Jedithan, a psalm of David, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle, so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me, that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. This is God's word. <clears throat> Kiss the rod. What a strange piece of advice, isn't it? Kiss the rod. In other words, do not despise, but have affection for the very thing that is hurting you. For ultimately, it is in God's hand. Kiss the rod. Strange advice. Yes, but no different than the counsel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who says to you, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
James 1-2, the Lord's apostle, kiss the rod. It is no different than the Lord telling you if somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn to him the other. Or if they ask you to walk a mile, walk two. Or if they demand your cloak, give them your tunic as well. Kiss the rod. I have learned that the first use of that expression, kiss the rod, most likely comes from William Tyndale in his 1528 book, The Obedience of a Christian Man. And I learned that fact from a scholar who did the most exhaustive search that he can find using a computer, and he hates the phrase, kiss the rod, and he wanted to stamp it out by writing against it. The expression also appears in Thomas Boston's 1659 book, Mute Christian Under the Smarting Rod, which you have heard of before. And of course, the, the expression appears in many, many other places. The first time I saw it myself, kind of an accidental reading, was in the writings of the Prince of Preachers, the late Charles Spurgeon, pastor of, for 38 years at the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church in London. In his outstanding commentary on the Psalms titled, The Treasury of David, Spurgeon wrote, quote, The Lord usually removes affliction when we are resigned to it. If we kiss the rod, our Father always burns it. When we are still, the rod is soon still. When Spurgeon wrote that, he was explaining the psalm that you have heard this morning, Psalm 39. Specifically, he was commenting on verses 9 and 10 of our psalm, where David says to God, I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. To kiss the rod is to become mute. It is to stop grumbling and instead honor God is the ultimate source, designer, planner, intelligence, and sovereign will behind all your troubles. To kiss the rod is to bring a humble, tender, thankful heart to all the afflictions that cause you pain because you know those afflictions are purposely chosen rods of your heavenly father. So instead of despising the affliction, instead of regretting the affliction, instead of wanting to avenge the affliction, instead of running from the God who afflicts, instead of any or all those responses, on the other side is a very different response. To humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, as Peter says it. To draw near to God because of the affliction, even kissing the rod. A kiss, an action of affection. A kiss because you are persuaded the affliction is not a wrong done to you by God. Even though it may be a wrong done to you by a man. A kiss because you do not despise any affliction 
by which God conforms you to the image of his son, the man of sorrows, who was acquainted with grief himself, enduring the cross, now seated in glory at the right hand of God in the throne of heaven. So to kiss the rod is to pray. As Thomas Watson said, that the rod of affliction may be a divine pencil to draw God's image more lively upon your souls. Beloved, this is the privilege and freedom of the Christian. To not have to run from affliction. To not just have to stay under affliction, but to step up and kiss the affliction. To kiss the rod is to pray that affliction may be a furnace to refine us, not to consume us. To kiss the rod is to pray that we may taste the honey of his love by the time the rod is quiet. And to kiss the rod is to pray that God will lay no more upon us than he will enable us to bear. And if the burden is heavier, we pray for bigger shoulders to bear it. That is to kiss the rod. What in David's personal life explains the miseries he is dealing with in Psalm 39? No one knows for sure. There are so many that we could think of, but no one knows for sure. But according to verse 1, we know this much. David is in a situation where his life is under the scrutiny of the wicked. The wicked are watching him closely. They are ready to pounce, ready to accuse, ready to declare that David is rejected by God, ready to say the miseries of his life prove he is rejected. A man with a son like Absalom, rejected by God. For his part, David chooses to remain silent. He is careful not to sin with his mouth. He does not want to give fresh meat to the wicked by which they will blaspheme God because of something he has said. But in his great effort to quiet his mouth, he could not quiet his heart. Verse 3, my heart became hot within me as I mused the fire burned. David could not stop thinking about what the wicked were thinking about him. Have I been rejected by God? Are my miseries a sign of God's hatred? Should I despise myself just as the wicked despise me? Have they measured my life rightly? And have I measured it wrongly? This is the burning muse of King David. Publicly, David was calm, cool, collected. Privately, inside, he was on fire. Beloved, in these opening verses, you are hearing about both the weakness and the privilege of the Christian. We are not as strong as we would like the world to think we are. David thought he could make a strong show. We learn from this psalm that the Christian life is not about showing people how durable we are, or how well-adjusted we are, or how unruffled we are. We are weak and needy in this world. 
We cannot live a godly life of calm for a single day unless we bring the inner fires of frustration to our God. And beloved, let me tell you right now, if you are not, for some reason, bringing the inner fires of grief and frustration to the Lord God in prayer, you are not living a godly life. It is our privilege. We get to draw near to God even while we are burning up. He is not ashamed to see us coming. He does not say, come back when you are cool, calm, and collected. Now, as David says in Psalm 62, 8, O people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. There's unseemly things in that heart. Do not pour it out before the world. Do not pour it out on social media. Do not pour it out in the deceptive, conniving relative who loves to hear it. Pour it out before the only refuge who is a refuge, the living God. Jesus shed his blood to reconcile you to the living God. There is no dark thought. There's no fiery thought. There's no embarrassing thought in your heart that should be kept out of your prayers. Jesus did not reconcile the sinless you to God. Jesus did not reconcile the unfrustrated you to God. Jesus did not reconcile the not sad you to God. He reconciled the weak and needy you that you are to God. Pour out your heart to him, whether it's filthy or whether it's frustrated. He will shine his face upon you. He will heal you. He will quiet you. He will set your hopes again on things that cannot be shaken. Now, when we come to verses 4 through 7, we see an ex- a major shift in the climate of David's soul. Up to verse 4, David could not kiss the rod. He despised his affliction. His afflictions taunted him. His afflictions caused him to entertain the ideas of the wicked, of the accusers, that he was a loser because his life was so afflicted. This is why we often despise the rods of affliction. Because men stop praising the quality of our life when we are afflicted. And we long for that praise to return. David references that very thing down at the end of the psalm when he says in verse 11, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. But in verse 4, David's soul moves sincerely to God. He prays. And in his prayer, he begins to kiss the rod. Notice the content of his prayer. He does not first ask that the rod of affliction be removed. Please make note of that. David does not begin by asking for the rod of affliction to be removed. 
he will get to that request. But this is a Holy Spirit-inspired order of prayer that honors God. And that is always the best thing the soul needs. He does not first ask for his circumstances to change. He first prays that he would be changed himself. Listen to verse 4. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. What are we hearing? We are hearing a man who has discovered that the bitter fire burning in his heart was a fire fueled by too great of a fondness for his short earthly life. That was the fuel burning in his bosom. Too great a fondness for his short earthly life. This is why he prays to God, let me know how fleeting I am. David was frustrated with his afflictions because he had forgotten the vanity and the brevity of life. Now he knows again what it is he desperately needs from God. Not a long life, not a prosperous life, not a life free of trials, but a lively heart of wisdom, a heart deeply persuaded how vain and how silly it is to lust for an earthly life free of affliction. This life will be over in a moment. And any affliction in this life that helps the soul stay fixed on the life to come, that affliction is the true friend of the soul. That's why there is kissing of the rod. Now in verse 7, look at the adjustment. Look at the renewal that has come into David's soul. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. When David was burning up inside, he was waiting and wanting the balance of honor and respect and prosperity to shift back into his favor. Under affliction, it's shifted towards his enemies. But now, he does not wait for such earthly things. Now the Lord is his hope. Why? Because the Lord alone is eternal. Only the life of God himself is the eternal life, is the non-fleeting life, is the life that is not a breath, only the eternal life of God himself is that life that will never be shaken. The eternal God is the only hope of man. And anything that drives your soul to that eternal hope is worthy of a kiss. Anything, anything, anything. Ask Joseph in prison. Ask Paul with his thorn in the flesh. Ask Jesus Christ, your Savior, crucified for no sins of his own.
Anything that brings your soul to God is worth a kiss. David now sees that his afflictions were sent to deliver him from the vain fires burning up in earthly glory. He's now able to kiss the rod. Matthew Henry has a helpful comment on verse 7. The consideration of the vanity and frailty of human life should deaden our desires to the things of this world and lower our expectations from it. If the world be such a thing as this, God deliver me from having or seeking my portion in it. Henry's point is if the world is such a handbreadth, such a shallow, frayed, falling apart, crumbling thing, you are being delivered if anything sets your mind and turns you away from it so that you do not crumble and get buried under it. You are being helped. This deliverance that he speaks of is what the grace of affliction comes to do in the children of God. Calvin was right. Men learn nothing from success, but much from adversity. Beloved, we hold our difficulties in a contempt that is not warranted. You hold difficult people in a contempt that is not warranted. You hold difficult geopolitical problems in a contempt that is not warranted. Think like a Christian. These things have come to deliver you. Do you think there's anything happening today upon the earth that isn't happening chiefly for the church of Jesus Christ? The Lord holds the world in his hands and he turns it every minute and every hour and everything that happens from weather to war. It is all for the elect people of God. Everything. To lift their souls off of this crumbling rock to the rock of ages. Beloved, don't be found. Don't be found loosening your lips before the wicked to speak of your contempt for the very deliverers, affliction after affliction, rod after rod, that your Father has sent to bring you to heaven. You will be no service to the wicked. Now look at verse 8 with me. Even though David knows he is not numbered among the wicked himself, he has no illusion that his life is without sin. He confesses his sin. Even though David suffers afflictions, he has no illusion that his life is without sin, even though he is suffering. Beloved, guard your heart. When you are greatly afflicted, do not think it is now time to stop thinking of your sins. So David begs for mercy. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. The Christian will always discover some sin in themselves, 
even when they are suffering from the sins of others. King David, like our Lord Jesus, is teaching us how to pray here, how to kiss the rod, and the kiss of the rod will include a confession of our own sin. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now we come again to the verse we mentioned earlier, verse 9. And here we find the formal, tuxedo-wearing kiss of the rod. It's reached its formal position. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. David is not only confessing that it was God's right to afflict him, he is also confessing that it was right for him to be afflicted. I do not open my mouth means I have no protest to lodge against your will, O God. I honor you in all that you have done with my life. You have done it, O God, and you do nothing that did not need doing. That's what he means when he says, I do not open my mouth. That is the kiss, the formal kiss of the rod. In 1659, Thomas Brooks wrote, No man honors God, nor no man justifies God at so high a rate as he who lays his hand upon his mouth when the rod of God is upon his back. Beloved, there is a deep rich communion nearby every hour of your life. Every affliction that washes into the house, washes into your heart, every affliction that touches you in any hour of the day, every pain that providence brings upon you is a summons to fellowship with God, to justify him, and to commune in his wisdom and to rest under his hand. 200 years ago, there was a graveyard in Philadelphia. I'm not sure it's there today. And that graveyard was a marble monument marking the grave of three children, all siblings. They had all been cut down by the yellow fever, the epidemic that swept the city in 1793, 5,000 people died. These parents lost three of their kids. It was the same epidemic where Charles Hodge lost two of his siblings and his father. Engraved into this stone monument, above the bodies of these three children, was a verse of scripture, chiseled right into it. Psalm 39, 9. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. What honor and glory to the Lord who raises the dead. What honor and glory to God. Beloved, the weather didn't do that. The weather didn't put those three children in the ground. The doctor didn't put them there. Their DNA didn't put them there. Other people didn't put them there. Their enemies didn't put them there. The universe didn't put them there. The yellow fever did not put them there. 
Now, all of those that I just mentioned stand by as active agents, but there is a higher agency, a higher agent that put them there. And these parents, who we will never know their names, I think, they have a greater grasp of divinity than many ministers who've been awarded degrees in divinity. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. So David, when he kisses the rod in verse 9, he does not scorn the attention of his heavenly father and heaviness on his life. And his resignation to kiss the rod is not foolishness. It is freedom. It reconciles his soul to God. He knows now that he is not alone in the world. His trouble is not random in the world. His enemies are not sovereign over him. His father is upon him. His father is so near to his life. And yes, his father is upon him in a manner of hurt, but upon him to bring his son to where the father wants to go and where else would a child of such a good father wish to be than with his father. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Beloved, four quick points of application from this message. Number one, <clears throat> the call to kiss the rod applies to both macro and micro afflictions. A macro affliction is when the Chaldeans swept in to Judea. And Habakkuk, the newly converted prophet, was ground to dust under the horse hooves of the Chaldean army. And yet by faith, he was righteous. He kissed the rod. Read the last chapter of Habakkuk. It is all kissing. He started frowning. The micro-afflictions are the thorn in the flesh of the Apostle Paul. The failing arm. The angry driver. All afflictions, we can say of them all, you have done it. I am mute. I do not open my mouth. So that's number one. The call to kiss the rod applies to macro and micro afflictions. Number two, the call to kiss the rod is always set in a larger context. This is not a philosophy of stoicism. When the Lord afflicts his children, he's not looking to see their stiff upper lip, as if kissing the rod is all there is to the Christian life. It is always within a larger context, chiefly of faith in Jesus Christ and prayer to Jesus Christ. Faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ testifies to our soul that whatever the rod brings, it is not a punishment for our sins because our sins have already been punished at Calvary. There is no double jeopardy in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You cannot be punished for your sins twice. Your own flesh and bone has been punished for them. And that gospel, that faith in Christ, shines in your heart under every rod of affliction and says to you, God isn't hating me. 
He is loving me. He is removing my grip on things that are a mere hand's breadth of life. And he is setting me on the eternal rock. And look at prayer. David kisses the rod, but he goes on and asks that the Lord would remove his stroke from him. Verse 10, I am spent by the hostility of your hand. Why does David pray this way? Because he knows God's heart for his sons and daughters. Lord, I am spent. What good father would not rush to recover and relieve one so weary? Everything David says from verse 10 to the bottom is a way of him being small and appealing to God's great compassion. That's why he even says, I'm a sojourner, because he knows in the law of God how much interest and love God has for the sojourner. So that's number two point of application. The call to kiss the rod is always set within a larger context. Three, the call to kiss the rod is never a reason to excuse someone else's sin. Often the rod of affliction will be brought against our life by the sin of another person. If a wife is treated harshly by her husband, it is not her calling to silently kiss the rod without bringing her husband's sin to the church. You see, kissing the rod is not the only remedy for affliction. It is her personal private worship to justify God for putting her in a difficult marriage. But she need not remain silent and not go to her elders and say, I am being beaten. I am being pushed. I am being cursed. Because that wife doesn't belong to her husband. She belongs to Jesus Christ. So that's the third point of application. The call to kiss the rod is never a reason to excuse someone else's sin. And lastly, the call to kiss the rod should always cause us to glory in Jesus Christ. Always. We kiss the rod ourselves, always aware, always aware of the presence of sin in our own lives when we go to justify God for afflicting us. But Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Son of God, he kissed the rod, always aware there was no sin in his life. Yet he kissed it even so for us. Isaiah 53, 7 describes the Lord Jesus kissing the rod. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He kissed the rod to bring your soul to heaven. How much easier is it now for us to also kiss the rod even in the mix and mingling of our sin, to kiss it even so, because we know that it is the continuation of strengthening our soul for heaven. It is the extension of the ministry of the substitute, Jesus Christ.
So that's the fourth. The call to kiss the rod should always cause us to glory in Jesus Christ. Beloved, I am very aware that this language of kissing the rod is very unpopular in 20,000, well, 2022. I almost went through a time machine there. I'm very aware that this is unpopular. But one of the things I want to do with you is to help you recover clear speech that is in accord with Scripture. The language of kiss the rod is no less popular than the language of someone slaps you on the cheek, give them your other also. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is not of this world. And those who are his disciples are being taught and trained and led in ways that are not approved by the world. The CDC does not approve of this message. Beloved, kiss the rod. Keep that good communion with your heavenly Father. He is so near to you. You will miss half of his nearness if you never see his hand holding the rod. Let's pray. Father, we do ask and pray that you would guard and keep our hearts through the power of the faith that you have granted them. Let us see that which the believing children of God are privileged to see, that all our afflictions are in your hand, and that you are such a good father that when we kiss the rod, you will soon burn it. It is not your pleasure to beat your children, but to discipline them, to give them a measure of chastisement so that we would be delivered from the things that are but mere breaths and will pass away with the world. So gracious Father, help us. Help us fathers and our, us mothers. Help us husbands and wives. Help us all teach our children that we are done complaining and grumbling and spewing and fuming and burning because the afflictions of God have come to deliver us. Oh, Lord, may we indeed be a quiet people under the smarting rod. We ask for this grace. Fill our hearts and our eyes with the glory of Jesus Christ. May the strength of his muteness be the only strength of ours. In his name we ask, amen.